again, everyone, and welcome back to the Smooth Thrills Radio Hour. I'm your host, Jason Rutledge. First off, a big thank you to all of you who stopped by to check out our interview with John Putch. Uh, It was super fun to do, and we really look forward to doing more interview episodes in the future. Uh, What did you guys think of it? Uh, You can drop us a message on the Instagram or Facebook, or of course, you can always email us at autopilot at smooththrillsradiohour.com. We'd love to hear from you. So, this is the final installment in Series 2 of the show, and it's a real departure for us since we're talking about a movie that, well, at least at the time of this recording, doesn't exist. It's Jim Shooter's movie treatment for Dazzler, and it's a movie that got surprisingly close to being made, but sadly just didn't get there. Uh, Nathan, Katie, and Joe are back to puzzle over this pile of movie madness, so let's get on with the show. Uh, Oh, but first... We should introduce the guest of honor. Gene, uh, let me introduce you to to Dazzler. Who's that? The inevitable girlfriend? That, that is the thing I kept thinking of going over all of this is what was Marvel Comics' cocaine budget at the time that they were doing this thing? Because it had to have been enormous had to have been marble comics yeah so was this actually a marvel thing or was it something that somebody was looking to do themselves and then take to marvel both and neither at the same time (laughs) i mean you can tell that when you read it it's trippy like that well how how established was jim shooter at the time oh shit we forgot to introduce the episode hang on (laughs) <laughs> oh, we're just talking and then we're going to do that. That's usually what we do. Yeah. Yeah, we kind of were already just talking about the pivotal things in the episode. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, just, man, yeah. Did you hear about that tiger that escaped from the zoo? Oh, fuck, I didn't. What about it? Oh, <laughs> he was uh, chasing some children and uh, he didn't eat them. Holy so shit. that's good. Um, but he did go to a pajama store and mm-hmm. didn't try anything on, just left. Cool story, bro. So there's a tiger on the loose that is not into pajamas or at least trying on pajamas. So, oh, anyway, welcome back, everyone, to the Smooth Thrills Radio Hour coming to you from (laughs) Old East Dallas. Thank you. This is kind of a weird episode for us in that we're talking about something that doesn't exist. We're talking about a movie that should have been made, but never was. Maybe it was on an alternate timeline. We'll never know. And that was Dazzler. I'm ready. Why are you wearing 3D glasses? Oh, this is the wrong episode. I'm sorry. (laughs) Jesus, Nathan. (laughs) Well, let them do that. So, this is a visual medium. It is. True. Yes. And the- Podcasting is a visual medium. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. So you guys, I sent you all the 12 page treatment, which is scanned off of Jim Shooter's original. You had a read of that. First impression, one word. What were you, what'd you think about this thing? Why? That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> Joe? Dazzling. Yeah. Fuck. Another good one. A little bit about the backstory on how any of this even came close to happening. Early in 1979, um, cocaine was invented. Apparently. (laughs) And enthusiastically tested. By Jason Cocaine. (laughs) We can all thank Mr. Cocaine for his efforts. Perfect timing because Jack (laughs) Collins. He left his soap out to dry in the sun. (laughs) 
when he came back, it was all flaky, and he thought, well, nah, I'm not going to do that. But anyway, two, two of the big shots at Marvel Comics decided they wanted to create a superhero disco character with the hopes of selling it to a movie company, kind of like how they'd done with the Archies. Well, I don't think the Archies were necessarily created as a property that way, but they saw some dollar signs coming and thought, let's cash in on the disco craze. Let's have a comic going that we can pitch to a movie studio and get, get some of that sweet, sweet movie money coming in. And remember this is after, or was it just before or after the first Superman movie? It would have been after that was been just after. So they got Jim shooter, who was editor in chief at the time, gave him this assignment. He gave it to two of his writers, Tom DeFalco and guy named John Romita Jr. So they came up with this Dazzler character, gave her the weird superpower she had to, I think it was convert sound energy into light energy and do disco light shows. That, As far as I know, I've never read the comics. I don't think that's what it was. Do dazzling things. Dazzling things, yes. They came up with a name for it. They gave her a debut in X-Men number 130. And then nothing happened. Couldn't get it sold. Until later in 79, Shooter gets called up to the the Big Shot's offices, where they presented this to Neil Bogart of Casablanca Records and Filmworks. And they pitched it as a half-hour animated special and then told Shooter, okay, we need, a, we need a treatment for this. How would you approach this? We want Harlan Ellison to write something for this. Wow. Uh, Shooter, probably wise decision, decided, you know what, we probably can't get Harlan Ellison. Uh, doesn't seem likely that he'll be into this kind of thing. So he took it upon himself to do it over the course of a weekend. And that's where this 12-page treatment came from. Shooter and the exec, Marvel execs presented this treatment to Neil Bogart, who said, we can't do this as a special. This is a feature film or something like that. I don't know what the guy's speaking voice sounded like, so I'm kind of guessing there. No. Well, no. But anyway. And it very well could have been, except that... And Nathan, you know the history of Casablanca Records better than I do. Neil Bogart did not last much longer after that. I think he was having health problems or. Yeah, yeah. I think it was cancer, but he he died in 82. Because that was the last roundup of Casablanca Records as far as like a recording company as far as putting out records that kind of stopped soon after that. Mm. And I got to put it in kiss context. Of course, their last album at Casablanca was Creatures of the Night, and it was dedicated to Neil Bogart, who had just passed away a few months prior. Wow. And Joyce Bogart was his wife who kind of owned the rest of it and just kind of shipped stuff off to either Mercury Records or other polygrammed own companies. Mm -hmm. So one of the Casablanca Records stipulations is if they were going to be involved, then whatever movie this is had to have speaking parts for people who were on their roster, which meant it had to have Rodney Dangerfield, it had to have Robin Williams, had to have Cher, Donna Summer, Lenny and Squiggy, and the Village People, and of course Kiss. So those were the parameters that were given to Jim Shooter to try to make that work. Okay, I thought that was completely random, that he was just like, not at all. Get the Village People no. in here, they're going to be great villains. I'm glad it has context to it, because it was- when you read it not knowing that, you're just like, yeah. Where did they get this group of people? Like, yeah. where did they get the idea of it? It's hard to imagine being handed this project and thinking, yeah, I can make that work. Sure. 
right? I mean, come on. Well, I didn't know that he, he'd been handed like that was like the mandate that he had to go and take all these prior. I knew they were all Casablanca properties, yep. but I thought that was just him being creative and going, fuck it. We're just going to go for the gold and utilize everybody within the wheelhouse. I mean, I guess it could have been worse. They could have stipulated that Robin Williams and Ronnie Dangerfield be in the Avengers somehow, which would have been even more awkward, I suppose. But God, Dangerfield would have been a great Jarvis. <laughs> I, would, yeah. I was thinking I was thinking Iron Man, but okay, Jarvis. That could have worked too. <laughs> oh, are you kidding? Well, well, obviously Robin Williams could have played the beast without any makeup. Oh, that's true. And we were talking about Nathan and I were talking about this earlier because they they line out all of these parts for the Casablanca crowd, but there's no stipulation over who the Avengers are gonna be. So who would they have cast in these roles given it was nineteen seventy nine? So you're thinking Tony Stark, okay, Eric Estrada, he's available, right? Get him. Or Brad Davis, because he just came off of Midnight Express. Yeah, no. yeah, okay. Dick Van Patten, I think, was, wasn't working at the time. Oh, you got to have the Van Pattens. <laughs> you got to have Tim Van Patten in there, too. Uh, yeah, that's possible. <laughs> Joyce Van Patten could have been in there. Sure. Scarlet Witch, they could have gotten... Lena Horn. Oh, uh, Stephanie Powers. Oh, yeah, yeah, or they could have just gone, you know, witchy poo with it and got that actor. Well, there actually was one name solidly attached to the movie, and that was Bo Derek. Casablanca had to bow out. Uh, Marvel owned all the rights. Casablanca had no stake in it whatsoever. So Marvel decided to push forward, and they took this treatment to the Cannes Film Festival in 1980 to try to get some investors involved in this thing. They got a meeting with Bo Derek, who wanted to play Dazzler really, really, really bad. Once the word of that got out, there was a bidding war got started over who could take the so Sovina Hemsworth. 10 had already been released at that yep. point? Okay. Bo Derek was really wanting to be involved. Unfortunately, she demanded that her husband direct it. Oh, John Derek. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, get a Tarzan the Ape Man on us. I actually have a photo here of the People magazine cover with Bo yeah, Derek I was just and looking John at Derek it. Carrying the stack of Marvel magazines around in Com Film Festival. Once Derek was involved, they really wanted to go for it, and they decided that a screenplay had to be written, but they wanted an actual Hollywood screenwriter to do it. He says, uh, Marvel commissioned a screenplay by Leslie Stevens. Uh, Stevens ignored what I'm quoting him here. Stevens ignored what I had written completely and wrote a piece of crap that defies description. (laughs) Says the guy who wrote this treatment right here in front of us. So I am dying to find this script and figure out what it was about. He called it moronic. Do you think some of those, some of the things said about it, though, could have been the animosity for how they were treating it? Like the fact that they wanted to take it and then do what they wanted with it instead of allowing um, them to have I think the... a lot of it was probably, from Shooter's own description, a lot of that just comes from his personality. Oh, fair enough. That is one thing. It, it really read like a comic of that era. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like oh, it, very yeah. much it so. would transfer to screen well at all. Like in the same sense that they would use the word like blast or blast it, you know, it's just not going to sound as good, you know, if you're on screen. Yes. Blast it all. Well, I, it's the, that's the same criticism I had over the Watchmen movie was a lot of this stuff does not translate from the page to the screen as well. Like all the musical cues just don't. Mm. It doesn't work quite as well. This one. I mean, you're still not. taking a comic and making it a movie. There's going to be a disconnect yeah, there no matter how you do it. No matter what. Yeah. Have you watched the TV show yet? I have. Well, I just think the TV show did a good job at bridging the gap 
between yes it is coming from a comic but it's still mm-hmm. it did it better than the film did in that regard because mm. like the film yeah. took allowances and changed things because it would have been more difficult to present it on screen whereas the show just they just did it they were like you know what we're just gonna take what's straight from the pages and as an episodic format it probably works much better in terms of adapting um well, it's taking a, it's, it's its own source material, but it still has things from the comic because it's not the actual comic in a TV show. It's okay. a continuation afterwards. That's what I was kind of like, I always thought that that would be a good idea with making a comic a TV show is doing each issue an episode. Yeah. That makes sense. That's yeah, they've never original, really done that. Yeah. No, they, um, I forgot his name. The guy that. He did like uh, Daredevil, the the first Daredevil movie. Uh, was there another? No, I don't know. Uh, well, there's the TV show. He has three names. I can't remember it. He he had said he was he was supposed to do Preacher originally, um, and oh. his pitch was doing it uh, an episode per issue or an issue per episode. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's fucking genius. That's wonderful. Since it was Mark originally Stephen structured Johnson. that way to begin with, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then you know Whoa. we got what we got. Yeah. Actually, I take that back. Tales from the Crypt is that, but oh, but that's different type of mm. comic book. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's not an ongoing. I have a question. Because wasn't Creep Show was a, a comic eventually, or was it a comic first? No, it was it's, written it was for the movie, but they yeah. made a comic book. But the, I knew there was the, comics of it. I just didn't know which existed first. No, My it was bad. just an homage to EC and scripted as such. So anyway, they got they got Bo Derek attached. They got a script. Couldn't get it to go anywhere, be, mostly because John Derek had to be involved, and no one wanted to work with him. So that ended Bo Derek's involvement. Then they tried to get Daryl Hannah to do it. Still couldn't get anybody to buy into it, and the whole thing just sort of fizzled out and died. Well, she wasn't even established at that no. point. So I don't. Yeah, it should Gosh. be noted that the Dazzler comic itself took off. It was the very first Marvel comic sold direct to comic book shops as an exclusive. The first issue sold, I think it was 428,000 copies. And I got on, my issue at the Richie supermarket. And it would go on to sell 160,000 a month kidding. on the regular, which was 60,000 more than Superman was doing at the time. Pretty popular comic. They just never could get the movie made. And maybe that's for the best, because if you've read this treatment, it's, it's nuts. But the thing is, is not every comic book character exists to have a film. Well, this one like there are a lot of yeah, there are a lot of comic book, but there are a lot of comic book characters that I feel like people would be like, oh, I would love to see a movie, but it's not going yeah. to do well. Well, I mean, if you whether down, this guy wrote it or not, page one <laughs> when we have our cast of characters: Cher as the Witch Queen, Donna Summer as the Queen of Fire, Kiss as the Dread Knights, Robin Williams as Tristan, Rodney Dangerfield as. Dewey Cheatham and Howe and Lord Chaos. This would have been his first movie, too. And they're it's not his first movie, but no, no. Projectionist is his first movie in 1970. But anyway, <laughs> but he hadn't done Caddyshack yet. Right. And that was the, the rebirth. At the village people Wait. as the stompers, Lenny and Squiggy as the jesters. They don't name now, the actors. They just call I was going to say, they did not mean like Laverne and well, Shirley. They did Lenny the album Squiggy. Lenny and the Squigtones for Casablanca. That's why. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I was, I was curious about that. Whenever I read it, I was like, okay, we're 
Well, yes, even weirder, fictional characters for fictional even characters. weirder than that. Right after that is and Disco Dazzler, the Amazing Spider Man, and the Avengers as themselves. <laughs> as themselves. Yeah, maybe they're getting the um Ooh. the the ones that are what? in Times Square that just walk around. <laughs> all yes, that might be. Yeah, Times Square. I mean, you're going to be over there by Studio Fifty Four. Would sense. have been totally appropriate. The story begins with Dazzler in the middle of her performance getting whisked away via Secret Wars style, just completely into a different reality. Same happens to our poor Avengers. And the, the description of the Avengers they give will tell you a little bit about just the compromises Marvel was willing to make to get something I love that on it's screen. Anthony Stark instead of Tony Clad Stark. in his solar powered armor. <laughs> so they could go that far. Um, An invincible modern knight. It's just ridiculous. The Falcon, who is actually Sam Wilson, a black teacher from a Harlem. Black teacher. Like, what? Just that's the that's what? the only that's as far as the description goes. Well, Gene Simmons was a teacher in Harlem, but he wasn't black. Anyway, the Scarlet Witch, born Wanda Frank, so I don't think was the yeah. right name. No. The Beast. St- Mutant Hank McCoy is fur- furry and bestial, but extremely intelligent. He's crazy. They yeah. need to get um, Kelsey Grammer to play him. The Wasp, Janet Van Dyne Pym, who is given a serum that enables her to shrink to insect size and sprout wings. Very much a lovable scatterbrain. That's it. That's, that that's all we get for the Avengers. Bless her heart. That poor character has been like shit on most of their yeah. existence, which is sad. So the Avengers vanish. Then Peter Parker vanishes, changes his also, costume in the middle of a vortex what? tunnel or something. And this part I really loved. Uh, he lands to find the Avengers and Dazzler protecting a guy in a regular business suit who's standing nearby <laughs> looking rather uncomfortable in his typical Rodney Dangerfield way. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Okay. I just want to know if Mary Jane ended up getting mugged or not. Cause I like how it was like, she was joking about being mugged. We'll never know. Yeah. <laughs> never know. Let's see. They, they questioned Rodney Dangerfield as Cheatham. Goes into the whole history of the Great Disaster, which had something to do with casino gambling and frozen yogurt. And nobody wrote it down. So civilization coming down to two feudal states, Upper Hatton and Lower Hatton, is a pretty typical New York attitude to have about this whole thing, isn't it? Nowhere else could the last of civilization possibly exist except Manhattan. Governed by the uh, Queen of Fire and the Witch Queen. Remind you all, it turns out at the end to simply be fighting because they both want Tristan. Rubbly. Well, that's all women so are good for, gross. fighting over men. Oh, sure. But Robin Williams. And he, he can't have who he yeah. wants. So he's just like, oh, well, and picks up a flower for the fire queen. Yeah. 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 But someday a sun queen will come with her invincible knights to unite the two queendoms of Manhattan. How is there not a TV queendom. show called Queendoms of Manhattan right now? <laughs> that would be money in the that bank. Would, that's fantastic. Well, this would now be- there will be. <laughs> you doing it, Jeff? The floor is going to take it. You taking it, Joe? I'm just, I'm really, like, I don't understand why they used the Three Stooges thing. Yeah. Like, it doesn't uh, make sense know. to me. It's like, not, yeah, I think he's just in the screwing around. He just, like, maybe this could just be due to him. Name? Maybe. It could be. I mean, he is oddly specific about some of the details, though, also, because the fiery-garbed unicorn-mounted warriors and spearmen and chariots made from old VWs. Yeah. And then there was the, uh, the horsemen riding the lizard. Lizard-drawn battle wagons made from old Datsun pickup trucks. Well, I mean, I would do that. I was confused because he described it as horsemen riding the, the lizard 
horses, whatever. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. It's lizard something. But it, 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 yeah, so right. were, the horsemen, were the horsemen like, like, like dudes that ride horses or were they like actual like mutant horse people? That I take it as like the around. four horsemen. Like I that's how that. I took it. It's open to interpretation. The apocalypse. Yeah. It's I, I think that would be pretty killer to have these weird mutant horse people riding around, around on lizards. It's like hell comes to horse town or something. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That was good. He also yeah, seems nice. to have something out for Lenny and Squiggy because he refers to them both the same way. So in their introductions. Also nearby is the Queen's Jester, Lenny, who is not funny. Not at all, <laughs> though he tries and tries. Oh, fucking shit, he's not funny. Same thing with, um, brought before the Queen of Fire, which includes her personal royal guard, the Stompers, her totally unfunny Jester, Squiggy. <laughs> what did he have against Lenny and Squiggy? He didn't. He, he just knew that uh, combined they would be funny. But or, <laughs> so maybe at the time, there was some stuff kind stuff of spinoff idea for the two characters in a show. And he was like, you know what? This is how I'm going to oh. put my my two cents in. So, Nathan, since you're a resident kiss expert, I had to ask you about uh, this bit where they say that kiss is using their already established cosmic superpowers. How, how does this jibe with the actual superpowers well, the members of kiss had? Kiss already had two Marvel comic books, two Marvel super mm-hmm. specials. Uh-huh. Prior to this, and of course, Kiss meets the Fountain of the Park, mm-hmm. where they introduce the the talisman. Isn't that film the 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 film that got you to fall in love with visual effects, Which Jason? One? Kiss, Kiss meets the Phantom. The Phantom? The yeah, no, no. Oh. <laughs> it did cause him to fall in love with Ace Frehley's black stunt double, though. Was he from Harlem? Was he a teacher? I don't know. Was he were the he guy from Harlem? Oh. So Gene Simmons, super strength, ability to breathe fire. Paul Stanley fires rays from his starred eyes. That's all in Kiss Me's the Phantom. Ace Freely can teleport. Yeah, he's space ace. Uh, Peter Chris has cat-like agility. Yeah, he's a cat. Pretty much? Okay. So that pretty much... <laughs> so, so this is giving so that, you stuff that you needed to read prior to it. So, like you have homework prior to watching this movie of having to read the Kiss comics. I, I, I mentioned this because they run That's down ace. the superpowers. He's got laser whiskers. Attribute uh, superpowers to the village people also, which I don't remember in the actual village people. Uh, the motorcycle cop has a nightstick that's charged with crackling. Oh, he's energy. got a nightstick, all right. <laughs> the construction worker has a jackhammer that can create small he's also earthquakes. Got a jackhammer. The cowboy twirls an unbreakable lasso that he controls as if it were alive. So he's almost like Wonder Woman. Force somebody to tell the truth, yeah. The Indian has a tomahawk that cuts through anything. What about footbells? Don't know. Okay. Because that was that's his superpower within the group. Footbells. The GI has a sidearm that fires mystic, fiery, laser-like blasts. And the Leatherman. <laughs> the Leatherman is super strong and wields an unbreakable chain. Of fools. Oh, boy. And I, I'm finding it kind of difficult to imagine Rodney Dangerfield in this movie at all. Oh, you kidding? Okay, so do the so. How would Rodney Dangerfield say this line? Uh, But fear not, for you are the sun queen of the prophecy, and it must be fulfilled. Are you serious? Do it, Nathan. Do it. But but fear not, okay? (laughs) (laughs) With a hat like that, I bet you get a free bowl of soup. Looks good on you, though. Or giving him a line like, "Fool," Cheatham says, "When we're supreme, you'll share in the spoils." 
Okay. So then he joins hands with the other two Rodney Dangerfields and they start becoming <laughs> Lord Chaos. It's a trifecta like, of Dangerfields. Power Dangerfields. <laughs> so one of them, which one is Wally Sparks, though? I don't know. <laughs> I'd like to meet him. He's not the one I want. I kind of get the impression that uh, Jim Shooter knew nothing about Rodney Dangerfield at all when he wrote this and put him in that part. Other than he's a comedian. I feel like a lot of it is maybe he didn't necessarily want these actors in there, but he was being forced to. And that might be why there was the the comment about Squiggy and things like that. Yeah. He's like, I have to put all these people in here (laughs) and. I don't want it that way. Shooter was well known for being very possessive and controlling of everything that was going on on his watch as editor in chief. Oh, that's most of the Marvel editor in chief. Well, he had some cause for it. I mean, he was at 14 years old. He got his first job writing Superman comics, Superman and Supergirl. And later on Legion of Superheroes. Oh, no, they didn't give him super dog or any of that stuff. Oh, they didn't get uh, crypto. So he opted out of New York University to work for Marvel, quit after a few weeks because of some financial problems. But I mean, the kid was like 20 or 21 when he became an editor at Marvel Comics. Uh, And Marvel had been chewing through editors and especially editor in chief. They go through five in about six years before Shooter took over in 76 as their editor in chief or 78. I mean, January of 78. uh, He was assistant editor in 76 and our writer under the editor-in-chief. So he had some street cred going into it, but he also ran a very tight ship. On one hand, he fought for rights for their creators. He fought for them to get better health benefits and to own their creations. On the other hand, he was kind of a difficult guy to work for. I have a part of a memo here that he wrote to his editors in 1984 from Shooter to Editors. Effective immediately. Start doing good comics. I realize this directive reflects a substantial departure from previous company policy, but please try to comply. That's it. How'd you like to work for that guy? It sounds like subtle. <laughs> so there might have been a little disdain on uh, Jim Shooter's end for the task he was given here. I, I could see that. Do you think that's because he sat down on something? Oh, disdain. <laughs> I'm sorry. Disdain. Thank you. Who put a blueberry here? Now I got disdain on my pants. <laughs> I want to know if they would have had a role for Dangerfield's doctor, Dr. Vinnie Boombots. I don't know. No. Yeah, Dangerfield might have been in a position to negotiate that. You could have played Lord Chaos. Oh, we get to the bit, you know, where the two evil queens realize that they have something in common, which is their mutual disdain, disdain again, mutual <laughs> hatred for Tristan. And that brings mutual them together. Blueberry. The, the two evil queens come together as one to, to fight Lord Chaos, I guess. Does I that seem like to, that's that what happened? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. We get stuff like, uh, no, screams Tristan, threatening to smash Cheatham with a big rock. You do it, and I'll clonk Cheatham. They did say clonk. He says so clonk three that's, times. That's pretty cool. So, okay, this was in 79, then he took, he was editor-in-chief in 76, so he was like 24 when he wrote this? Uh, 76 no he would have been well if he was 14 in 1966 okay 52 i was just taking uh you saying that he was in his 20s 21 yeah i can't do math you know that so he would have been 26 is that right no sure a bit older than that something like that somebody will figure it out email it to us i don't know so dazzler and the avengers put an end to the war they kill rodney dangerfield i guess or did he die on stage we have a 
Cheatham, Dewey, and Howe, it turns out, are a law firm, and so naturally are acolytes of chaos. And what the <laughs> fuck? Why, why do they need lawyers in this, this land of know. ruin? Don't know. Like, it was so bizarre. Everyone needs I was like, oh, I have to confer with my counsel, <laughs> like in the very first. Uh, what? So they defeat Lord Chaos, and then Lenny finds a natural partner in Squiggy, and for the first time in their lives together, they're funny. Cheatham, Dewey, and Howe are put to work as kindergarten teachers to learn what true chaos is. And that's pretty much the end of this thing. I like um, how he says that the, the two of them got together to be funny and then lays a really shitty gag on us with them yeah. becoming uh, kindergarten teachers because that's true chaos! But, it's, <laughs> but that's how comics... And I'm not defending this at all because it is trash. But <laughs> it is very reminiscent of the comics that existed back then they always had that like lesson you learn in the afternoon after school like an after school special that's what i'm looking for like it has that childness to it so yeah i don't know if we moral code you mean oh that was Mm -hmm. something that came around with uh after the The he-man cartoons especially started coming out they had so we have to have some kind of educational message to offset well, all this Filmation violence. always did that. They did that on Fat It Albert. just has that that after school special feel to that it. G.I. Like, Joe and knowing us half the battle. Tying and all that thing going yeah. on. Mm-hmm. In today's episode. We yeah. learned a little something about friendship. And Rodney Danger. The friends we made along the way. <laughs> exactly. So Marvel had already, they've been doing the Spider-Man TV show, I think, already by now. Yeah. And it repackaged and a lot Hulk. of it as movies. And the Hulk, yes. Uh, I don't know if they'd already done the uh, kind of half-assed Doctor Strange movie. I think that would have been the. When did the Fantastic Four America. movie happen? Captain the America was seventy-nine. Doctor Strange was seventy-nine as well. The when did the weird Fantastic Four one happen? Oh, the Roger 90s. Corman one. Nineties. That okay. was ninety-four. Yeah. yeah, but there was a cartoon okay. version of Fantastic Four with the little robot thing. Oh yeah, that had been was that, that early? 90s? I don't think it was either. I'm trying to think. I'm thinking it was around the same time they were doing the the Spider-Man and Friends thing. With yeah, that was like that was the best one. I yeah, love that, that one. That is that was like early '80s. That was Ice Man and a Fire Kenneth, Fire. What's Jason your name? Robards. Yeah. Firestorm. Yes. Firestorm. Howie Long. I just see the light. The light smile. Light smirk. I thought you were about to say, I can see the light dying in their eyes right now as we keep no, talking about this. Sitting in a screening <laughs> that was drugged to by a friend of Firestorm. Was that was that Dewey Cheatham and Howie Long? Oh, there you go. God, Cheatham, that would have sucked that, if that was the third Stooge, Howie Long. <laughs> that would have been horrible. Third Stooge. That's worse than uh, Joe Besser. Had this been made, I have no idea what I would have. Anybody would have thought of this thing. I don't think it's that implausible. I mean, of that of that time frame. I mean, if you look yeah. at like "Can't and, Stop the Music" with the Village People and "Kiss Me's uh, the Phantom," yeah, and, yeah, and of that time, that kind of wasn't that big, big to uh, put like popular musicians and things in things to help promote it or pull an audience. Maybe you know things like that. I mean, that still happens now. I don't know why I'm saying it's only relevant to back then, but it seemed to, yeah. It no, was it more was, glaring back then. It was, oh, absolutely. They it, were putting yeah. Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts mm-hmm. Club Band movie. I mean, that's just... They were very de- clearly putting people into movies that had no business being in the movies just to promote them. Although Donna Summer's great in Thank God It's Friday. <laughs> yes, but that's a more... That's a better fit 
for Donna Summer than this thing. Yes. But I don't know if I, I can know. place her. The Wiz had music in it. I don't mean just having music in yeah. it. Yeah, it did. And nobody beat him. Well, no, I mean, that is Diana Ross and Michael mm-hmm. Jackson. That was always a musical to begin with. I mean, the yeah. version of The Wizard of Oz was. I know, I was um, just trying to name something. I don't <laughs> He's know. like, I want to participate. No, it, it fits to, in that same time frame. Conversation. 78, so this is, would have been 79. Yeah. Problem is, by the time the ball would have gotten rolling, as far as Casablanca Records and Filmworks, it was, they were almost done mm-hmm. at this point. How many movies did they end up putting out over the course of their run? They did uh, Midnight Express, Thank God It's Friday, The Deep was a big one. That was Casablanca? (laughs) Yeah. Donna Summer's on the soundtrack album. Ah. And Peter Goober was... Did you say Peter Goober? instrumental in that production. And then later, his brother Hans Gruber would be in Die Hard. Yeah. Right. They weren't that close. He didn't make it to Die Hard 2, though. Was, Was FM on Casablanca? No, that wasn't. That's that's a good reference mm-hmm. though. That's that's a perfect one actually for that time frame. Mm-hmm. Same year, it's all music basically. Uh, the way of the world, I don't think was Casablanca. The one with Harvey Keitel. Yeah. No, it was not. I think that was prior to this. I want to say that was like seventy seven prior to this or seventy six. Mm-hmm. It was Richard Pryor. So to they this. had a pretty diverse group of movies that they were putting out. Sounds like yes, they did. Because, well, I'm just saying to think that. No, they did. Yeah. No, it wasn't all Donna Summer infused vehicles like you would think they would do. No, well, I'm just saying for a company that had like. They didn't do Can't Stop Stop the Music. So I'm just saying for a company that did like half a dozen movies to have Midnight Express thrown into that mix. Well, it was it was Casablanca Records initially, Neil Bogart's company. And then he fused with Peter Goober and they made it Casablanca Mm. Records and Filmworks. And the idea was to tackle on as many subjects as possible. But I think they had success where they didn't expect to have it. Mm. Like they backed the wrong horses, so to speak. Like they thought the deep would have been, the deep was pretty successful. Yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't Jaws, obviously. Didn't have that same level of success, which is what they wanted. But Midnight Express had a ton of critical praise behind it. Sure. But yeah, that's kind of a left field idea for them. Other than the fact that Giorgio Moroder, yeah, Giorgio Moroder did the score for it, mm-hmm. and he was, of course, was with them. But they also had Miko Minardo was on their label, so they could have had was, him do music oh, for wow. it. Da- <laughs> they might have had him do the music for. Was uh, Giorgio's uh, uh, Metropolis Casablanca? Or no, that was no, because that they did that in '84, okay. and Casablanca had already collapsed by that point. Mm-hmm. So. I really love that version. Like what That's record a good company version. that was? Was it A and M? Yeah, that same. is a great version. That was my introduction to it as a kid watching that. Yeah. Did anyone else find it kind of weird that there's no musical numbers in this treatment for Dazzler? Yeah. No, I mean it mentions that she was at a con- she was doing a concert. Yeah, at the very beginning. So, yeah, maybe he just felt it was a given. That well, no. He just oh, because it's a record studio that's doing it, or. Yeah, like why bother writing it in there? Why wasn't Howard the Duck in yeah, this? Yeah, he would have been perfect. If if, if nothing else, and I that would was think like this one, his, yeah. the character's heyday was yeah. back then too. That is true. Did the character ever already, really have a heyday? Yes. Yeah. Well, Kiss's first appearance in a comic book was in a Howard yeah. the Duck. I just think of the weird movie. Great movie. It's a weird movie. It's a weird. It's still great weird. Movie. I mean, weird things can be great. I'm uh, not. Yes. Comics were great. 
I love the comics. I mean, yes, I like Howard the were. Duck. Yeah. I don't think I ever saw a single one of the comics. I don't know how aware I would have was of Howard the Duck before the movie. The only and thing he, I like, he like ran for president. Like there was like this jokey kind of Howard the Duck running for president in like seventy six. That was a big. Of course, deal. if he did that now, the only Howard the Duck kinds of posters. The only yeah, Howard maybe. the Duck I'm he, he familiar runs. with is when he was part of Alpha Flight. The, the yeah. Canadian Avengers. Yep. Wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Alpha Flight. Mm-hmm. But he can't fly. Have we run out of things to say about Dazzler already? Oh, we need to talk about that, don't we? I mean, so her superpower was lights. That was yeah. her superpower. Was like bling. I mean, it's no jackhammer that can start earthquakes. But. Well, as you said, it was created as a hoping to be something other than a comic book, right? I mean, yes, for the exactly. So they didn't the really of, yeah. put forth too much effort in the backstory mm. or the strength of the character's longevity. No. Was there ever a Rom Space Knight treatment? That would yes. have been great. There was. Yes, there was. I know for a fact there was. I don't remember how long ago it was, but I mean, we've talked about this on the show before, and I've definitely talked to Nathan about it. It's like anything you can think of, somebody has tried to make a movie out of it, no matter they what. They should it resurrect was. that, man. I mean, they that still was a do great it. Comic. And it could be so, like, tongue in cheek now, too, because they could use the same aesthetic, the same design, and it would be kind of hokey now, mm-hmm. but it would be also very endearing and good. And that was a badass look. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, I don't know. No, I don't know what what held it up. Maybe it's just like anything else. It just couldn't find anybody interested, or couldn't find the money to do it, or it was just well. Marvel always had difficulty launching projects in terms of film. Oh yeah, after this. Yeah, well, yeah, and especially after this, I mean, the comics were all over the place. I mean, we talk about Howard the Duck, but that ironically might have been their most successful film venture mm-hmm. throughout the 80s. And then all it took yeah. was gutter to come in and make an Iron Man movie. <laughs> the Favs. Yep. Well, they did The Punisher was great. The Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie. I love that. It was, was that one? That Just a, it was an action movie. Like it wasn't. I was going to say, right, was it even it, necessarily comic right, yeah, related? It wasn't like Marvel. No, it's Punisher. like we just talked about. They didn't really adapt it. They mm-hmm. just kind of took the concept and made a film out of it. But they, they had owned... Uh, New World Pictures. This is post Corman, mm-hmm. and that was one of the films that they did. And of course, they they did the TV movies, The Trial of the Incredible Hulk and Death of the Incredible Hulk. Was there another one? I think there might have been a third oh, yeah. one. At that point, New World was going belly up, and so they just never had luck. So when the Corman project came along. It actually seemed like a viable option for them because they would try anything to Marvel was facing bankruptcy. Also, they were they would try anything just to get some kind of money coming in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at Menachem Golan's Captain America movie, which this is the same Marvel team that came up with the storyline where Ghost Rider teams up with Jesus. You remember that after Howard the Duck, they sold all the rights to everybody that they could get anybody to buy oh canon they had deals for spider-man it was going to be michael dudikoff movie yeah they were going to do that and of course what was there was another one i think that captain america started at a canon and i think there was a third movie that they were going to try to do with them of course canon had financial difficulty so yes they never landed with like a proper studio i don't know what the intention was and also and i think we've mentioned this before it's kind of a sidebar but the doomed documentary is yes. brilliant if you ever get a chance to see it and it's very good 
the one about the making of the Fantastic like, Four movie. Like there's movies yeah. coming out now, like documentaries that are better than the source material, like the Troll Two one and yeah. Doomed and <laughs> shit yeah. to an extent, even overnight, the Boondock Saints one that came out in the nineties. Oh, oh, that's brilliant. It. I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of the movie, but that that documentary yeah. is brilliant. But um no, like the Doom thing gets into all the politics and answers all those questions mm-hmm. to the best of its ability as far as like why did this even happen? Was it yeah. a tax write-off? Was it basically it's just politics is what it was. Yeah, it's definitely worthwhile. It backed up everything I'd ever heard about how that movie was made and why. Yeah. Which were just rumors to me before that watching that oh yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah fills in the blanks oh certainly certainly yeah there should be a documentary on the dazzler treatment uh or not i think (laughs) we've tried one here and it's (laughs) then we started talking about all the other more successful movies that failed well every one of the side characters that they have in this thing as far as the marvel characters have had movies made except for dazzler uh, we've had Spider-Man, we've had Iron Man, we've had Scarlet Witch The Dread Knights? The Stompers? Huh? Dread Knights had a movie? There was no Stompers movie. I'm, I was talking about just the Marvel uh, movie. What's that one with Russell Crowe? Oh, that, oh that's uh, different. American Romper Stomper? X. Uh, that was a very different movie. No. I mean, she. I. it's not been too long ago that there have been Dazzler comics. It's not like the character's completely gone totally. Right. Did Dazzler die with Disco? Or did her comic... I think it had more of a research. It, it did better in the eighties. It seemed. Yeah, it was it was regularly selling. Like I said, I think one hundred and sixty thousand copies a month after nineteen eighty one. Did Jubilee replace her eventually? Like in a roundabout way. I do not know. I don't. No. Jubilee kind of has that same. I haven't kept power, track of it that but... close. Well, no, because yeah. they've both been in things together. I've lost track of comics by then. Question for the ages, I guess. What age? Well, that's sort of the problem with comics too. Is that as far as the comic books go, they really haven't developed any more of an audience than they had in the 70s and 80s. The people who buy comics now are the same people who bought them then. They haven't really brought in a new comic. So for comic those people audience. never had kids because they weren't having sex. They were reading comics. <laughs> a good point. The odds that we'll get a Dazzler movie one day seem pretty small at this point. I'm okay with that. I yeah, am really to... interested in a ROM Space Night now. Hmm. Even an animated. How well, Dazzler would have be? been cool. An animated one. Well, there's not ROM Space Night, but they supposedly are working on a um, Moon Knight series. Oh, well, yeah. So, I mean, anything can happen. <laughs> so. Well, Moon Knight has had a, a really big resurgence. Uh, it's, he, mm-hmm. He's still not a popular oh, he's character. He's popular though. now. I mean, like. I mean, he's not a Captain America. Well, he, I, I mean, I like Moon Knight, but I'm just saying. Yeah, but I'm just saying you're. I mean, nobody ever thought we'd get a Guardians of the Galaxy movie yeah. either. And look at mm. how well that did. So if there's Why going to be a yeah. time for your random characters that you wouldn't think would get something like that, now mm. is the time. That's you what I was. say that about Iron Man. Who yeah, yeah I mean. never do a movie for that. Yeah. Until it happened. Yeah. So who knows? And it only took them fucking up Spider-Man a bunch of times. <laughs> I don't know. The second Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire, the Sam Raimi one, is still one of the best comic book movies. The one with Doc Ock. He's more of a Spider-Man three kind of guy. Yeah, because there's dancing. Because there has to be somebody. That would have been a prime cameo for Dazzler there. It was funny because they referenced that in Spider-Man Into the mm-hmm. Spider-Verse, and it was really funny. That was a good Spider-Man movie. I prefer Nicholas Hammond. 
Nicholas Hammond fire instead of webbing, he fires like giant nylon ropes. He just climbs <laughs> buildings. That's all he does. Because I mean, if you think about it, he would have been the chosen Spider-Man. I'm guessing because they don't name an actor for it. Even though by that point, I think the show was already done. Yeah. Now I'm gonna go watch my tapes of Spider-Man. I'm kind of I'm kind of upset. There's no red brown Captain America in this treatment. I mean, it says Avengers, but yeah. it's not. Or distinct. even red green. Hmm. Good lord. Say what? And they can premiere it on PBS. Yes, we'll, we'll put the Dazzler treatment into a forever time capsule, so maybe future generations can figure out what the hell happened here. Anyway. Because we could. No. And with that, we'll bring the episode to a close. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Well, that's it. The show and Series 2 have come to a close. We'll see you back here soon for all new episodes in Series 3, coming soon. The Smooth Thrills Radio Hour is a production of Ghostcraft and is recorded live in Dallas, Texas. Please email your questions and comments to autopilot at smooththrillsradiohour.com. Enjoy the rest of your day.